the end of one chapter and the beginning of another. Well, let's get started. Another race for the world's greatest driver, Juan Manuel Fangio. Former world champion Jim Clark leapt into the lead. That's Clark's Lotus going like a bomb. And James Hunt is the world champion by just one single point. By being a racing driver, you are under risk all the time. And if you no longer go for a gap that exists, you're no longer a racing driver. And that is Michael Schumacher ahead, the world champion. To become a four-time world champion, Sebastian Vettel, Lewis Hamilton, champion of the world. That's for all the kids out there who dream the impossible. Max Verstappen, for the first time ever, is champion of the world. Hello and welcome to episode 39 of F1 in Review, the episode and the hour where we discuss the season finale, the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, and we look forward to what might be in store for the 2023 season. I'm Tom Claiborne, and as ever, I'm joined by Tristan Fancourt and Angus Gallagher. A reminder that you can follow myself and Tristan individually on Twitter, as well as the F1 in Review account, where these episodes are posted once they've gone out, be that on your podcast provider, or be that live on River Radio, or via the Listen Back feature as well. And we dive into the first topic, ironically, about P2 in the Drivers' Championship. We all knew that P1 for the Constructors, and indeed the Drivers, was done and dusted many races ago, but the fight for P2 in the Drivers was a very much live issue before this Grand Prix finished. The once leader of this entire division. Charles Leclerc was level on points with Red Bull's uh, Sergio Perez and while Perez qualified in P2 it was Leclerc who would finish there on Sunday, get the points and ultimately secure that position. Now, Ferrari went for a one-stop strategy for those who forgot or didn't watch this Grand Prix, while Red Bull pitted twice. Did that decision cost Sergio Perez? What's our thoughts on the fact that, essentially, there was such a great chance for Red Bull to secure a 1-2 and a 1-2-3, if you will, with Sergio Perez getting second, but they failed to do so. Our thoughts on this? They did fail to do so, and it was odd for Abu Dhabi, the final race of the year, to present to us you know, two years on the trot now, quite an interesting race. Last year was very exciting. And uh, mm. uh, <laughs> for our thoughts on that, go listen to that particular podcast. Um, but this time it was different. Max had already secured the championship. And this time it was Jewel in the Desert for second place. And to be honest, I thought what was really, really interesting about this particular Grand Prix was... Perez and Leclerc seemed relatively equally matched, rightly or wrongly, because I would argue that it was absurd for Perez to be challenging for for P2 because Ferrari should have been challenging for P1 and therefore Leclerc should have automatically got second. But hey, there we were, them joint on points going into the final race. And on paper, the two-stop strategy was going to be faster and in fairness to Red Bull, I think it, it, it actually was. I I I, uh, I will say, maybe slightly controversially, that if it was mm. Max, he would have caught Leclerc within the pits. So I think theoretically, definitely, it was faster for um for Red Bull to pit Perez and put him on a new set of tyres. Unfortunately due to low degradation and just Ferrari's overall pace and, and almost ability to match that pace of Perez at times. And Leclerc was pitting at some stellar lap times. Leclerc's strategy of, of pitting at lap 21 onto, from the medium onto the hard tyres managed to get him over the line 1.5 seconds ahead of Sergio Perez. And Perez was putting in fastest laps. He was doing his best. He was he was actually utilising the traffic really nicely because he was getting DRS from overtaking the traffic, which was, you know, allowing him to get closer. But unfortunately, I just don't think he quite had it in him to, to challenge for Le- Leclerc. And that makes sense to me because Leclerc was challenging at the beginning of the season for, for Verstappen's title, really. Let's face it. And so I think Leclerc is a slightly faster driver than Perez. So it turns out, I think, that... Perez's advantage on new fresh tyre because he stopped um, on lap 15 from the mediums to the hards and then on 
and then he did 18 laps on those um, hards and then did 25 laps on another set of hards so that the new tire advantage turns out was pretty similar to Leclerc's advantage on pace so it was one of those things where I think Ferrari just managed to somehow strategize themselves a victory for Leclerc they cracked out both the magic Ouija board and the magic eight ball shook the magic eight ball and all signs said to no for pitting Leclerc again and it worked it just worked brilliant but I can't help feeling a little bit sorry for Perez. I feel like this was his opportunity, shall we say, for P2. Maybe his one opportunity because it's mm. not often that the the challengers, you know, and the, the challengers for first place, the, the alternative P1, ends up slipping back to P3. It doesn't happen very often. You wouldn't, for example, expect Hamilton to be challenging Verstappen for first place and then suddenly go down to P3. Or Max Verstappen mm. to be challenging someone for P1 and then go down to P3. So, could a Red Bull have helped him throughout the season? I don't think so. I don't think... I think the opportunities to help him was in the last race in Brazil. And as it turns out, those points wouldn't have been enough either. So, the only way I think perhaps Perez could have won is if they'd got Verstappen to like drop back hold Leclerc up by one and a half, two seconds, a bit like how Perez held Hamilton up last year. But to be honest, then they're going to compromise Max for the race win. And it was just a bit of a shame, really. But hey, I think Perez gave it his absolute best. Third place is not anything to be too ashamed about. It's pretty good in Formula 1. And if we all are very honest, I'd say Leclerc was the most deserving of P2, I think, overall, overall pace and potential. A fascinating battle that went down to the wire. And that was about it, really. Um, it was, it, it, I think it speaks volumes to the championship when this was the key battle for the championship. Because in, in reality, no one really cares about who finishes second in the championship. Um, it's nice, but it's not exactly Hollywood stuff, is it? Um, but at the same time, a fair play to Charles Leclerc, who actually did, I thought, a very good performance because Ferrari looked okay in qualifying, but Red Bull looked like maybe a step ahead this weekend. And for him to do a good strategy in the race, or Ferrari to do a good strategy in the race, first of all, wow. Mm. Second of all, fair play to them for pulling it off. Um, it meant that, yeah, in the end, Leclerc's bagged that second place in the championship. Scant con- consolation, especially when you think that he was 46 points ahead of Verstappen with three races in. And then at the end, he finishes 146 behind. For those of you who aren't so sure of the maths, that's a 192 point swing across 19 races. 10 points a race, you could say. Um, mm. Not great. Not great. Um, <clears throat> but at the same time, it is Leclerc's highest ever championship finish. Um, Perez's highest ever championship finish as well I do believe um, because he came third last year ahead of or did he he came third or fourth last year in the battle with Bottas so it could well be probably is Perez's highest championship finish as well at the same time though will they really be too bothered about that I don't think they will Ferrari would have expected a lot more from this season having had that blinding start having had little pockets as well where they looked like they were on the ball and were ready to challenge, like around Silverstone, Austria, France, where they arguably, well, Leclerc arguably should have won all three of those races, but he just won one, got strategized in another and retired from another. So, it's again, I know it's, it's difficult to say. It's difficult to say this when they finished 205 points behind Red Bull and the constructors, but they lost momentum this season, and it was partially an opportunity missed. Um, Unlike the opportunity which Leclerc had in this race to get second, and he pulled it off, you had the little battle at the end where Perez was closing in, closing in on the different strategy with the faster tyres, but he couldn't quite reel him in at the end. Um, and that part which lit up, arguably, not the most exciting race in the world. Um, shock. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Leclerc getting that second, a bit of satisfaction. And I'm sure he will be hoping for a much better performance next year and for Ferrari to be much more in contention again. Obviously, time will tell. Will Mercedes come back? That's the big elephant in the room, arguably. But, yeah, he sort of 
he got what he wanted. I guess if he wanted second place, he'll tell you that he didn't want. He wouldn't have wanted second place, and he would have wanted just the championship, which is fair enough. But I think, even though yeah, even though he may have, he he may want that little second place, just a little. He probably gets a financial bonus. That's probably the main thing for him to, the main incentive for him to get it. But yeah, generally it'll be scant consolation, scant consolation after the way which Verstappen romped to the title. Realistically, um, but fair play to Ferrari for putting off the strategy well in the final race um, if only they could have done that more often on a more regular basis this season Indeed, credit to Ferrari they had a fight in their hands in terms of this final race, they won it fair and square really but as you say then again should Leclerc have been in this fight should he have been fighting with Verstappen's teammate versus Verstappen himself I don't think so if you look at the very start of this season, look at the calibre of equipment he had and how ultimately he's been the victim of bad luck, be that by some reliability issues, the power units failing on multiple occasions, I think back to Barcelona for an example of that one, and the strategy going horribly wrong owing to Ferrari, self-inflicted wounds, you may say, being brought upon Charles Leclerc. So, credit to them, we're often very eager to go and bash Ferrari when they do things badly, but they've done this correctly, they've done this well, credit to them, but it's all relative praise really, because they've once again underperformed in a more recent season of F1, so yeah, lots more to do really, and they can see why there's question marks over Bonotto's future moving forwards, and in terms of what Ferrari do, where they go, who they recruit, uh, and all that sort of stuff as well. And looking at Red Bull, now, if you consider that Verstappen is annoyed shall we say about the Monaco incident be that Perez supposedly um, stopping his car and red flagging qualifying so he could get himself on P1 and stop his teammate from doing so imagine what this whole situation with Sergio Perez having seemingly P2 in the drivers championship somewhat gift wrapped you may say going into the final quarter of the season and then having it snatched away owing to some somewhat you may say his teammate and his team because if you consider if Max had played ball in Brazil put the team first versus himself that could have been ultimately many if what's buts and maybes but four extra points for Perez that would have made the fights in terms of this Grand Prix so much easier for him coupled with the fact of course he qualified in P2 so obviously Perez has to go and take some responsibility for that as well but the fact that when you look last season granted this was for a championship uh, deciding Grand Prix and indeed for points that would decide who won this but when Perez was asked to go and back up Lewis Hamilton. He did that valiantly, was called a great teammate, a legend and all the rest. But when the boot was on the other foot and when it was about getting Perez, his highest ever finish in the Drivers' Championship, Verstappen helped by saying, go full send, which is essentially saying, just try a bit harder, will you, fella? You can get him if you really just put your mind to it, which I think is... Mm, annoying if I was if I was Perez. It's demeaning. It's frankly not right, really, because I'm not too confident that Leclerc would have beaten Verstappen on pace. I'm not too sure of the argument that Verstappen couldn't have uh, played the team game and couldn't have gone a bit closer to Leclerc because Leclerc was on fire. Because, let's be fair, he was only pitting once. His tyres weren't that fresh. He wasn't um, a raging man who was going to go and overtake him. He was strategizing for P2 and no more than that. So if I was Perez, I'd be thinking, well, Verstappen could have done a bit more. Red Bull could have, could have done a bit more. It's no deal breaker, if you will. It's no huge existential problem. But my team did let me down there slightly. So it remains to be seen if there is a hangover as such, if there may be trouble ahead for Red Bull. But things haven't ended so harmoniously and there could be a negative legacy from this and when you consider that Ferrari will be in that title fight again in some form I believe and we're already seeing that Mercedes are very much up to speed in one aspect or another this could be quite consequential but um, maybe that's me with my, my doomsday hat on. Well I, I don't know I, I assessed the uh, radio message that you're referring to when uh, Max does say you know tell Checo's that you know to go for send the tyres will be alright as him sort of trying to, to urge him on a little bit, not in a demeaning way, but just re- reassuring the team that if he is setting very good times on a pair of tyres that he had had on since lap 20, then Perez could certainly go as fast as he wants on uh, on a pair of new tyres, new hard tyres that he put on at on lap 32 or 33, one of them. Yeah, 33. So 
you know, I think he was just Max was maybe make, trying to make up a little bit, or at least trying to support um, Perez. And to be honest, Max couldn't really do anything. That he 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 actually was towing um, Perez away from Leclerc. If you remember at the beginning of the race, look, um, Perez stuck behind Max for for quite a while and ended up getting a couple of DRSs and you know being towed away from Max. To be honest, I'm surprised he didn't strategize that a little bit further. And within the team, Max had nothing to lose and knew that he could get away from Perez really whenever he wants. Look, I'm sorry, but that's just true. I'm surprised mm. that they didn't say, well, tell you what, why don't we why don't we get you behind Max a little bit longer? We know it's going to damage your tyres because you'll be running in the dirty air behind Max and that does increase your degradation, but we're going to stop you twice anyway. So we might as well get you a Max pace for, a, you know, literally Max pace for a bit <laughs> and then pit you. So I thought it was a bit odd that I think... I think Red Bull kind of went a little bit half and half. Didn't quite get Perez to go fast and full enough in the race, and so dumped him on a pair of hard tyres tires halfway through. And unfortunately, that you know compromised um, his his race in, in inevitably because he he ne- ended up being in P three rather than P two. So I, I I can't help but wonder whether or not. If they had stuck behind Max a little bit longer, if Perez had been, if Max had been told maybe from the team, so that term for a few more laps, couple more laps, you know, he could have made up another second, two seconds, and that would have actually mean he meant he had caught Leclerc. So I do feel like it wasn't really Max necessarily being the the one that demeaned Perez or or didn't quite be full excellent teammate i think to some extent red bull failed perez a little bit as well they they didn't quite support him in the way that we should Uh, and that also follows suit with the statement um that red bull put out about the uh incident in brazil when they you know they basically said oh yeah we we told max too late that um that he should let perez by which is why he, he couldn't which we know is a lie because we have the recording we have the radio messages red bull we know when this stuff happens so again i think i think you two actually predicted that um red bull would come down on, on team max inevitably and you know it yep. seemed that's mm-hmm. exactly what happened again. I think they, I think Red Bull kind of realised, oh no, we've got to support Perez a bit more because our oh, P two actually means something, and, and we want that little bonus. Um, but maybe that's something that Red Bull need to learn actually, and it's something that I think Mercedes do a bit better perhaps, or maybe that's just because Bottas was a better, you know, number two. Could he, he could actually get P two as well? But it would be nice. I think if, if Red Bull look at this moment and realise that the, the defeat on P2, and it was a defeat, was mm. also because they didn't quite commit to having Perez do as well as Max. Now, at the end of every season, we always say goodbye to a driver or two. Some go voluntarily, others are forced to go, while others take a short time out and unexpectedly come back a few years later. And I think our four departing drivers of Ricardo, Vettel, Latifi, and more recently, Mick Schumacher, all fall into those three categories or so there. Now, looking at Ricardo, he had probably the biggest bang, the final finish, the greatest end to his Formula 1 career if he's not to return in terms of this race at the very least. Uh, He qualified P13, rose up to P9, closely followed, quite literally, by Vettel. He was qualifying in P9, then up to P10. And then Schumacher, P12 to 16. Latifi, P20 to P19. So our thoughts on these drivers last hurrah. For some, definitely. For others, maybe. Yeah, so we say farewell. I feel like we say farewell to a large amount of drivers this year because there's actually quite a few changes in the teams and the driver market for next year the first one doesn't really need an introduction we've spoken about him a lot on this podcast especially earlier on in the year in terms of his leaving sebastian vettel um some would say f1 royalty some would say f1 icon um the statistics he has are quite incredible we've been over them before we'll do them once more 299 races four world championships 53 wins, 57 poles, 38 fastest laps, 122 podiums. Quite astonishing, really. Um, He bowed out with a race where he had strategy go against him. Aston Martin, for some reason, didn't want to give him a nice farewell, and they thought they'd come up with a a concoction of a poor strategy uh, for him, just to make his life a little bit tougher. But he managed to come back, and thanks to the benefit of Hamilton's late retirement from the race, 
Vettel nabbed a point just on his farewell. Um, yeah, I think it's safe to say he's one where people, some people were joking in the paddock on the weekend about how he may be back like how Alonso was back um, a couple of years after his 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 uh, sabbatical or departure from the sport. I don't think Vettel will be back. I think he's he seems very... Um, He's a bit sad that he was leaving. He said he felt a bit empty on departure, but I think he's um, he seems comfortable with his decision. Um, and also the fact that he's past his peak. He is he's given so much to the sport, both on and off the track. Um, you heard so, you heard so many lovely stories of interactions that people have had with him over the years, such as Charles Leclerc doing work in the simulator as a Formula Two driver for Ferrari, and he got a handwritten letter from Vettel to say thank you for all the support. Um, or the other example that I read about was uh, Vettel offering great support to Daniel Ricciardo uh, as a friend, and also Vettel coming waiting in the paddock for Max Verstappen to come back from hospital after the crash at Silverstone last year. Um, just lovely gestures, which sum up the man really. And it wouldn't he's had he had such a farewell. This became like the Sebastian Vettel Grand Prix farewell this morning, uh, this weekend. So it almost wouldn't seem right for him to return because he's had that goodbye now. Um, but yeah. Phenomenal career. It seems like a down-to-earth, humble, incredible person, especially one that he's grown into over the years. And yeah, safe to say, I don't think he'll be back, but not because he's not good enough, but because of sort of his, his decision. It's in his own hands, and and yeah, uh, a true giant of the sport that is now uh, now departed. Yeah, it makes me feel a little bit old now because <laughs> Vettel was one of the drivers that uh, I watched you know, growing up and disliked passionately <laughs> um, because he kept winning and that annoyed me. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, once, once Hamilton and Alonso go, that's it. That's my childhood drivers gone um, from the spot. I've watched them all tumble and, and leave the sport one by one. And it, it's bizarre now going back and watching old races because it, they, they feel a bit more like, like home in a weird way, comforting, like oh yeah, I remember this driver, ah oh, Jensen Button, that that chap. Um, and, and it's weird watching yet another one depart from the sport. And to be honest, we knew Vettel was going to be going because he started doing other things. Um, he was, for example, he was on a on on you know our UK TV talking about politics and and environmental challenges. You know, called himself a hypocrite, turning up to races and and becoming much more of a almost like a protest driver. I'd say doing very well, but also mm. bringing some some critical issues to the to the sport that you know we're close to his heart and he says that there's still a race to win and there absolutely is still and that's what he's going to be concentrating on now and i think that's brilliant i can see hamilton doing a very very similar thing that they're, they're both drivers have this incredible uh storyline arc if you'd like um and and vettel is very much passionate about something else now and it was very odd to see him doing his donuts his final donuts or, and and sort of and exiting out the smoke um as you said angus they definitely put him on a weird strategy at aston martin uh they they had him on the same pair of medium tires the lap 25 which means he got overtaken by everyone undoing his incredible work in qualifying his qualifying pace was absolutely fantastic and um an absolute masterclass of of the old vettel i think which was really great to see actually it's amazing when when you think oh well they're a bit slow and rubbish now and then suddenly boom they demonstrate their talent and you think wow what could have been anyway so yeah they pit him on that 25 from the mediums got overtaken by everyone before that um and then stuck him on a pair of hards and he couldn't really get anywhere after that because everyone else was on a pair of hards um and so yeah pretty terrible strategy but at least at least he actually ended the race unlike Kimi Raikkonen last year who sort of just retired um and also Alonso this year failed to fail Abu Dhabi and um, so did Hamilton, which was a bit weird. But Vettel, it, is, we're going to be saying goodbye to him, but I hope we see him around the paddock a little bit more. I uh, I think it'd be really good to see you know, his presence doing interviews or whatever. So I, I think although this is the last we'll see him flying around the track, perhaps at 180, 190 miles an hour, I think we'll see him inputting into the sport in a very different way and and or at least i hope we do 
Mm. The end of an era, but I think it was probably the right time to go for Seb Vettel. He's say uh, 35 years old, not really going where anywhere in that Aston Martin uh, car and bowing out in style, really. If you look at the last one, a quartile of a season, more points finishes than not. And I completely forgot as well, and a slight caveat, that he missed the first two races owing to COVID. Didn't race in Bahrain, didn't race in Saudi yeah. Arabia, didn't even finish in the third Grand Prix either. And there he is, equal on points with Daniel Ricciardo. He raced all those races, okay. I'll stop. But anyway, it was nice for him to get some uh, points finish in his final Grand Prix. I do agree there, Tristan. I think he will be uh, turning up with Sky, with F1 TV, with the respective German outlet for Formula One and giving his, his two pence of thought into various different things. And let's not forget, he's a very strong voice. He's not just one of these drivers like, dare I say, someone like Nico Rosberg who won one world championship, then retired and then pops up now and again to have pot shots or say something else or something regarding a, a different element of F1 or the regulations surrounding it. He's a powerful voice and he's been growing that voice, nurturing it on a whole array of issues. And I think that's going to you know, be carrying on outside of Formula 1, but also inside as well. When Vettel says something, I imagine everyone sits up and listens as they did previously and will continue to do so moving forward. So it's sad to see him go. I would have liked to see him be replaced with a, a younger talent than someone like Alonso. He even cited his retirement as being, you know, the reason he did it was why he, he wanted someone of a younger age to go and take his seat, essentially, which unfortunately hasn't happened. But then again, you can't exactly decide that if you're a driver versus someone higher up in Aston Martin but sad to see him go but I'm glad he's decided to go now and not carried on for too long like someone like Kimi Raikkonen did and like someone along the lines of um, Fernando Alonso I fear will do because I don't think he's a driver who knows when enough is enough he's yeah if he's going to carry on and on and on and eventually we're going to go just leave the damn sport man which he eventually will do but hopefully he'll take a uh, a leaf from Seb Vettel's book and go actually I've had enough time time for someone else but we'll see on that regard and talking about the man who's equal on points to Seb Vettel in the Drivers' Championship, Daniel Ricciardo. Now, we knew similarly to Vettel, he would be leaving the sport earlier on than, let's say, Mick Schumacher or indeed Latifi as well. It's understood he's now going to be the reserve driver for Red Bull, so a weird circular nature of his career taking place there. Let's not forget that many seasons prior, he left Red Bull, then went to Renault and ended up driving for McLaren. And things never really worked out for him, as we've documented documented well on this podcast yeah, episodes prior series prior going back to even when this was first created in the very basement of the University of Southampton yeah. we questioned his decisions in terms of where he went uh, and the rest and unfortunately it's gone exactly how we feared it would uh, in many regards and it's a shame to see but nice to see that he's able to carry on in Formula 1 in some uh, degree or fashion never say never in terms of a comeback I think I think it was a shame that he wasn't pinched by someone like Haas or Williams I think it would have been quite an asset there but that may still happen but the age of 33 as we're seeing with someone like Nico Hulkenberg you can come back in older years and indeed race to when you're 40 odd in terms of what Alonso's doing and Raikkonen as well but very nice as well for him to go and get a points finish in his final race of this season credit to him after a poor start he has in the last quartile or so, shown his worth and did help McLaren in their battle to, well, unsuccessful battle granted, but battle nonetheless to get and beat Alpine in this season. But shame to see how it's gone, but I do have a feeling Ricardo will be back in some form. You think so? Mm. I do. I d uh, I'm not sure. Weird of you to bring up the, uh, oh, how many years ago we've started this podcast? It feels like only yesterday, but you're right. We are... Uh, <laughs> set off down this particular podcast road um humbly talking um innocently talking i think about ricardo's future and how he was gonna make great strives of success at one team or another bouncing his way from red bull over to Renault and then over to mclaren each time we uh hoped he'd do a little bit better than before but alas his space hopper has seems to have got a puncher in it and um as much as he, we thought he was world-class material, perhaps you know, winning the world championship or challenging at the very least, and you know, I would say one day, once upon a time, he was. He he just has been nowhere for a very long time. I think his mistake actually has been all the moves. 
do I think he should have stayed at Renault? Yeah, I think he probably should have. Built with the team something he could drive instead of went to McLaren where he couldn't really drive the car. And it's not his fault necessarily, <laughs> it just didn't suit him. But we know he was improving at Renault. In fact, don't let's not forget that um, he got Renault's first podium and then the, the current, uh, well, the then team principal, Cyril Abitable, ended up having to try and get a tattoo as a result because he had a bet. You know, that was the fun, excited Ricardo that was going on to build a team into something better. And I think it was very unusual for him to then ditch it for McLaren because McLaren clearly was the wrong move. But it's it's a real shame that he's he's fallen from such high in you know, such a high place. And the rumours are next year he's going to be a reserve driver at Red Bull. I think that probably suits him. We know that he has still has a good relationship with Red Bull and Red Bull very fond of him, so I have a feeling that he'll be back, but it's going to be weird if you're like a, an unusual circle of Formula One life because let's not forget he ditched Red Bull because he thought, thought they were becoming Team Max and he's going to be straight back at Red Bull after all this time with Red Bull being very much Team Max. So <laughs> maybe that says a lot about the sport, but I think I think the rumours are also that, that Ricardo could have taken a, a, a seat with a, a lower team. And perhaps, you know, that wouldn't have been a bad choice, but it looks like Ricardo is, is one of these drivers that's, you know, thinking, look, mid or top team or nothing for me. So he's going to be probably a, a reserve driver and maybe he'll get one or two races um, if he's lucky, like Nico Hülkenberg uh, managed to get before securing his own uh, seat for next year. But to be honest, it's just a bit of a shame to watch him this season. This season's gone by so quickly. And I think we haven't really commented on how Ricardo's just lost all the bounce the bounce is but gone from his bungee yeah it's an interesting debate in terms of whether he'll be back um because he's still of the opinion that like right i am daniel ricardo i'm gonna have a year out and then i want a top team drive when i come back but to be honest by the time he's looking for that drive next year he'll be 34 years old he's had a poor two years where he's not been at his best at all He's been put in the shade, really, by Lando Norris over the course of time. Really has been put in the shade. He only scored 29% of McLaren's points this year, um, which is a really stark figure for a man who has eight Grand Prix wins in his time in Formula 1. Um, so, yeah, I, I still I don't know about the move to Red Bull as a reserve driver. I feel like it's just... It's, it's, poss- it's probably a comfort move for him in that it, take, it takes him back to somewhere he knows well, people he knows well. It means that he can still develop and be around the paddock as well. At the same time, I question... I Well, I can see why he wouldn't go back to Haas. I get that. Or somewhere like Williams, which were rumoured to be potential options. Because he may see that as a waste of time. But then also, I think it's racing at the end of the day. It's Formula One racing. It would still be the thick of the action, the heat, the battle, etc., etc. So, it's an interesting move to go to Red Bull. I'm not convinced it will reap rewards because I think they're clearly committed to Verstappen and Perez, despite what we say about over the last few weeks and the drama that's gone on. They seem to have moved on at least a bit now, um, coming into the weekend, and all seems to be better uh, between the teammates. Um, if something were to go wrong, they'd arguably promote, be quicker to promote Nick DeVries or Yuki Tsunoda than swoop in for a 34-year-old Daniel Ricciardo. So, yeah, and his, his view is that he will be... Not, not that he's coming across as saying, oh, I will get a top-team drive in 2024 because I am Daniel Ricciardo. But he's almost, like, it's, it's coming across that way as if he will sort of... He will definitely get something, even though it's far from guaranteed, realistically. Um, it'll be interesting to see how it does prevail, but yeah, I just I I think will he be back? I don't know. You know, some other drivers I may have been like, yeah, they'll be back because they're too good to to be gone forever. But could we have seen Daniel Ricciardo's last ever race on Sunday? It's yes. a distinct possibility, I think. Quite I think possibly. Yeah. Quite possibly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Between the last episode of F1M Review and this, we found out the news that Mick Schumacher would not be racing for Haas next year. This turned out to be his final race in F1 in the short term at the very least. As I say, qualified in P12 and finished in P16. I think really that entire race, the fall really from P12 to 16 kind of does summarise his season so far. There's been moments where I thought Mick is going to kick on here get some solid points under his belt. This is what we needed. This is what he needed to really uh, match Kevin Magnussen and to really take the fight to the teams above him. But that's not really happened at all this season when it looks, uh, when you look at his record anyway. I mean, a points finish twice, eighth in the British Grand Prix, 6th in Austria. But aside from that, there's been if chances, close chances, half chances, but not too many chances where Mick Schumacher's really shown us why he deserves to stay in Formula 1 in the longer term. That being said, do I think it was right for Haas to go and dump him and replace him with Nico Hülkenberg? No, I do not, because when you consider that Mick Schumacher is 23 years old and you're replacing him with a 35-year-old, what is the strategy? What is the long-term aim? There isn't really one. It's just short-termism. It's making a decision because everyone else is. It's panic buying almost and going, well, this person, Nico Hülkenberg, who last raced in 2019 in terms of a full season, he'll do a job for us because Mick isn't. And it's quite disappointing, really, to see once again we're seeing another Formula 1 constructor disregard the prospects of youth, not really having too much patience, really, I'd say as well, in terms of letting them bed in properly, giving them time and the resting, just going for the tried and tested, safe and comfortable option. As I say, Mick Schumacher hasn't blown the, the doors off in any aspect in Formula 1 at all. But when you consider the potential that he has, looking back at FT, for example, when you consider that as well he's beaten Yuki Tsunoda, who is in a better car than in the season, I think it's fair to say, and has been in Formula 1 for at least the same period of time, I think it's a harsh decision, really, and I think that Mick Schumacher deserves a bit more time because, yes, there's arguments to go and say, oh, you know, he's a Schumacher, that's the only reason he's in Formula One, or, yes, he brings in money, that's the only reason that he's in, in Haas, that's the only, only reason he is uh, the main driver there, or at least one who holds a permanent seat, but... I don't think that's fair, really, and I do think that regardless of the fact that he's likely now to be the reserve driver for Mercedes, replacing Nick de Vries and the rest, I failed to see him having a long and fulfilled Formula 1 career. He may perhaps get himself into a situation where he does what Nick de Vries does and has a reserve uh, role for a number of years, then comes in in his sort of closing stages of the 20s. But is that really what Mick Schumacher once I doubt it, is that really what his pedigree and his talent has shown in F2 and indeed in patches in Formula 1? I don't think so, really. So it's sad to see him go. If you're looking at it in isolation this season and the season before, you can say, oh, well, there's a reason to do so. It's a results-based business and the rest. But 23 years old, decent talent there. I think Haas will rue this decision and they made a mistake, really. Completely agree. Total mistake to get rid of Schumacher. And... You know, I think that the way that has perhaps treat their drivers is something they need to reflect upon. Maybe they're just short with them. And I can't be the only one who thinks this, and I know I'm not, because I I listened to Toto Wolff's opinion on the matter, and he actually criticised Gunter. Well, sort of criticised him. He criticised him in a very Austrian way, in the way that Toto does criticise uh, someone, um, and says that, you know, Gunter acts like Gunter, goes up into the... Uh, mountains and where the air is thin and that comes down and makes the decisions and thin air makes it hard to make the good decisions and you know I think that's Toto basically saying that he also thinks that they were a bit harsh on Mick I mean he's done a I think Mick's done a good job and yeah he was slow at the beginning he was but he's got better and I don't, I don't understand why they're not picking up this momentum because he's so young as well and having been in a very different type of car last year which was let's face it slow hard to drive and built around a completely different set of aerodynamic rules he's had to forget all of that and then learn this new car and has picked up 12 points i know i don't even th i think a mick mick could have got pole positions in the last three or four races and they still would have dumped him because they just don't want him anymore and that's a real shame because it's just, I, I just think it's pretty offensive uh, to 
the driver program to bring someone in thinking that you're going to you know help them have a massive change of of regulations and then be like well you didn't do great bye it's not like it's not it's not like he got zero points he got 12 points he's as you say beating yuki sonoza even though they got same amount of points mick got more um beat him in the standings and yuki is in an alpha tari and i completely agree better better car Hmm. So, I think Mick should be pretty proud of coming in 16th. I mean, blimey, Haas would have dreamed of 16th place for one of their drivers last year. And he has a better shelf life as well than Hulkenberg. And, yeah, Hulkenberg is a good driver. I'm not I'm not going to suggest he's not for one moment. But you've got to think about the longevity. Hulkenberg is also a driver that, that holds the prestigious award for, for like the most races without a podium. Because he mm. kept failing to complete a race in the podium positions, either from crashing out or just ending up dropping back. And it's worked brilliantly from, from Haas's perspective for Kevin Magnussen. But, you know, Kevin and Mick were working together in a good team. They stayed each, out of each other's way. I just don't think there's anything more Mick could have done. It was a learning process for him. Maybe they wanted Michael Schumacher Sr. I'm not sure. Mm. But I don't think this is going to be the last we'll see of Mick. I can't, it can't be right. It Agreed. can't be. Agreed. I think mm-hmm. someone's going to snap Mick up. He's going to get into a very nice team somewhere. And I want him to demonstrate how much of a mistake Gunter and Co. have made from booting him out. And they didn't even let him do donuts. I don't know if you saw that. He started doing donuts. Yes. And they were like, ah, yes. oh, Mick, we can't do donuts, mate. Oh, we just can't <laughs> do them. He did them anyway. <laughs> Who cares? What are they going to do? Fire him. <laughs> Uh, I was like, go on, Mick, <laughs> do another one. Mm. Just do another one, you might as well. Who cares? I just absolutely, who cares? And he was like, oh, yeah, okay, fair enough. <laughs> he stopped doing it very nicely. But he did do his donuts, that's all that matters. Poor Mick. I feel like mm. I feel like it's a bit like the Stoffel's Van Dorm problem. F1 was very cruel to Stoffel. It's been a bit cruel to Mick, too. Hasn't respected, perhaps, the Schumacher name in the way that we thought maybe they should have. The Stoffel Van Dorn problem, the one, that, the dilemma that uh, cuts people up every day and put, turns, tosses and turns them in their sleep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so Mick, yes, let's talk about Mick. Um, I'm torn on this one because I don't think he necessarily did enough to justify his place in F1. You look at his results across the year and it tells a very strange story. He had first nine races, zero points. Silverson in Austria, 12 points in two races. And you're like, right, now we're cooking on gas. He's finally starting to make an impact. And then the last 11 races, zero zero points. He's just disappeared off the map again. Um, Realistically, the whole season, just Magnussen's been a cut above. And yes, I know Magnussen has that experience and he has that... um, like affinity as well with the Haas team and obviously the headline stealer for the Haas' season will be Magnussen's pole position in Sao Paulo but Magnussen in general had the um, had the rule of the rod over Mick Schumacher he just had control over him and just managed to turn the screw and get those performances in whilst Mick he, I just I don't know he's not, not underwhelming but I just expected better I just thought you know this would be the year he'd kick on um in a better car as well. The Haas car, especially at the start of the year, the Haas car was rapid at the start of the year, tailed off a bit, but it was a more of a points contender this year. What well, It couldn't get less of a points contender than last year, admittedly. <laughs> but at the same time, they seem to be on the up a bit more. And it just it just didn't happen. But at the same time, Nico Hülkenberg to replace him, uninspiring as far as I'm concerned. A man who, for sure, has lots of talent, and he's displayed it a lot in his career. He's also displayed an inability to get on the podium quite a few times um, in his 181 starts. And I think that it's just, uh, yeah, there's, there were better choices out there. They could have taken a punt on another young driver, arguably. They say that they needed to have a, a more experienced driver to be, you know, help them to be in, in with a shot of helping them move up the grid. Um, I get that because realistically they had that 
high of fifth in 2018, I think it was. But since then, they've finished, or in every other year, they've finished seventh or eighth or below. So I get that they have to try and move up the grid. But going to a 35-year-old driver who has been out of the sport for three, has only done, what, four years in, four races in three years as a COVID substitute. Is that the right idea? I'm not sure personally. Sad to see Mick go. And the one thing I guess he has got on his side is that He's 23 years old, will be 24 starting next year. So clearly his race is not run, if you'll pardon the pun, in terms of his F1 career because he's young enough to be given another shot at some point. But this is definitely a step back in his career. Um, and but at the same time, if he managed to bag a reserve role with Mercedes, as is rumoured, um, that would be quite the coup. Yeah. And maybe that could uh, kickstart and relaunch his... Um, his potential viability to be an F1 driver again. But um, yeah, I'm torn because I don't think he set the world alight, but also do I think Nico Hülkenberg will set the world alight? I'm not so sure. But um, yeah, mixed last race. And compared to Vettel and Ricciardo, I think I don't necessarily think it'll be his last race for good, but obviously time will tell. Yeah, indeed. And it was such a shame, really. I remember we all said once Mick had got some points in the bag, which he did with that P8 and P6, you know, double points on the spin, if you will, that that would secure his future in Formula 1 for at least next season. But that's just not transpired at all. And as you hinted at earlier, Tristan, I just don't know what Haas wanted from him to make sure he kept that seat for next year because it's very easy to go and say, oh, go on, be Kevin Magnussen. But immediately, once Magnussen got, dare I say, that freak P5 in the first Grand Prix, there was always going to be an uphill battle for, for Schumacher, coupled with the regulations and the rest. As someone who admires Haas, I fear that they're going to be in exactly the same situation again next year, where Magnussen will have beaten Hülkenberg convincingly. Hülkenberg would have had a fine season around P15, 16, 17. Not done too well, not done too badly. Points in one or two races and they'll go, huh, well that wasn't too smart, was it? What other drivers are, are around out there? Who can we get? Who can we look at for the future to replace Hülkenberg? Because at that point, he'll be 36 years old. You can easily go and say, oh, well, you know, you can race to your 40. You can race to your 41. Sure, if you Lewis Hamilton, Alonso and Raikkonen, sure, people who have won championships more than got on the podium a few times and won races, that's absolutely fine. But I just don't think that Hülkenberg is of that calibre where someone can make the argument of, oh... He's older, he's got the experience, and he's still race fit because I'm not convinced by being out of Formula 1 in the traditional sense for the length that he has been. Granted, one or two COVID substitutes, so he, he still is ready to go in, in many aspects and was for this season. I'm not convinced it's going to be a successful move or relationship for Haas moving forwards with Hülkenberg and Magnussen. I'm sure that they'll get on fine accordingly, as Gasly and Ocon will next season with Alpine, but... I, I I'm really am scratching my head with this one because I just cannot see what Hülkenberg brings to Haas that Schumacher was lacking. Exactly. And actually, if you actually look at Schumacher's results across the year, I, I don't know whether or not it's just Haas maybe think they're better than they are. As in, they had that incredible beginning. And it's, when, when Magnussen in his first race for Haas ended up coming home in P5, in Bahrain, scoring himself ten points. If you if you remove that, by the way, remove that little that mm. ten point um, points advantage that that um, Magnussen got from that first sort of freak race, then they are actually tied on points. So you know, let's not forget that Magnussen was a bit skewed. I mean, Mick also had an incredible race as well, um, where he got eight points from coming in P six in Austria, but. The thing is, this is my kind of the the point. If you actually look at his his uh, mix results across the year, they're pretty much in line with what you would expect. You know, there's a smattering of points here and there. There's a couple of like finishing in eleventh places, a couple of twelfth places. The odds, you know, seventeen when you know things didn't really go your way. A couple of you know thirteenth place, but that's that's where Hass is, right? And surely mm. if, if you know if Mix in eleventh and Magnussen's in tenth which, you know, happened, then that's about where they are. Bear in mind that you've also got the Alpha Tauris, for example, the Alpines fighting also for sometimes P10 as well. You know, you, you look at the, the way the grid's laid out, you think, well, actually, you know, Daniel Ricciardo had a poor qualifying, so he's in a McLaren fighting for the last point. 
What do you think is going to happen to Mick? The McLaren is a better car. You know, it just so happens that, that the other cars are out of place. You know, and and also if you compare that to someone like George Russell, right, in in the Williams and his performances across from twenty nineteen onwards, then you see kind of the same thing. I mean, you know, mid teens sometimes. You know, the odd point. I mean, for George, it took him a couple of years because he was in the Williams, which yes, admittedly, is a much worse car. But when you actually compare everything across and you look at it from a, a you know an expectations perspective, I think Mick did just what we'd expect. You know, managed to grab twelve points, come fifteenth. Yeah, fair enough. That's about where he is. So I, I'm actually quite annoyed about this one, as you can probably tell. I think they made the wrong mm. choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we finally get on to Nicholas Latifi. He was qualifying in P20, rose to the lofty heights of P19, and someone retired. So our thoughts on Latifi. Personally, I'm not going. I'm not going to be missing him. He's going to be replaced by uh, Logan Sargent, the US driver. But your thoughts, firstly, before I get my teeth into it. Will it be his last F1 race? Yes, it will. Um, to cut it short. <laughs> um, Realistically, he was a nice bloke and he tried his best. And he got two points in Japan this year, which is great for him. And he was okay. Um, I'm trying to find positives. Yeah, he he seemed nice. Um, <laughs> he his time is over, I think. Realistically, we know he was there for because the money he had. He was he didn't do too badly in junior formally. I mean, it, it did take him three years to come a runner up in Formula Two. Um, but he won six races across those three years in Formula 2. But then he also got to F1, and I can't quote the exact statistic, but he, against George Russell and Alex Albon in his um, in his F1 career, took part in, what, three seasons, about 60 races, probably lost the qualifying battle about 59 to 1 or something like that. Um, it wasn't really a strong point, mm. was it? Um no. He, obviously, he was against Mr. Saturday in George Russell, but then he came up against Alex Albon and also got battered on that front <laughs> this year. Um, <laughs> the fact that the fact that Nick DeVries came in one race on a Saturday morning, did one free practice session, um, and then after that, took points in the race in a Williams, and Latifi, yeah, couldn't like yeah in the same race just got. Um, got battered again his his time was up realistically and i'm sure we'll get on to the last bit of our podcast this week about logan Sargent and whether that's the right choice to replace him i think whether or not it was latifi's time was going to be up three years is about right in terms of what he could have produced and proved he came out the start of the year and said that he wanted to be a team leader for williams and that he wanted to be the man to take over the mantle after george russell had left did he do that? No, he didn't, realistically. Um, so his time was up, I think. And wishing the best of luck. Whatever his next thing will be, I reckon you'll, he'll find himself in sports cars or something like that. That's often where lots of F1 drivers who didn't quite make it, that's where they end up going. But, um, yeah, best of luck to him to whatever he does. <laughs> yeah. Latifi. <laughs> I mean, that's a good summary of his, his you know, sort of best... Um, sort of best moments if you like it's quite difficult they did a best moments of Latifi um, video for him and one of the best moments is him just starting a race in F1 <laughs> So we're... and a home race as well let's not forget <laughs> home race <laughs> so look there's it, we point and laugh but he actually got to Formula 1 and that's in something in itself 20 of the best drivers in the world and could he thrash me around the track probably but we don't have equal cars so who's to say who knows um and he did get to q3 let's not forget that all the drivers made it to q3 um which is good well done him but unfortunately latifi's job was less of team leader and more as sort of walking talking team sponsor and if he helped propel Williams to next year without them going bankrupt, then you know he has my respect for that because I am a you know big fan of Williams, um, and I want them to keep going. Latifi did get points this year, 
as well, which was excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, it was good for him to not, you know, not finish his final year without no points. So he he finished in P nine to get two points uh, in Japan, which is a notoriously difficult track. And I think you're right. I think he was just a solid guy. They, uh, watching him and Alex Albon have fun on, on you know doing the little YouTube silly things. That was nice as well. But we're not going to miss him. Let's let's face it. We're not going to miss him. And I I wish him every success going you know forward and and doing something else. But for him, for him it just time was up. And three years is probably long enough. He had one go at at this type of car with the new regulations and with no success and no success really in Williams. I mean, and it's Williams, let's face it, um, in the last generation of cars either. So unfortunately, as one door opens for Latifi to exit, it slams firmly closed with the appointment of, as you say, uh, Logan Sargent. So um, now at least Latifi won't have the pressures of uh, of F1 anymore and he can enjoy himself, I think, and his <laughs> lots, lots of uh, wealth. <laughs> absolutely he was a good driver he was a great driver if you kept compare him to other pay drivers i think is the best way to describe latifi but yes logan Sargent is going to be replacing him partnering up with alex albon and williams next year in the final race of the f2 season he finished in p4 which meant that he got the required number of super license points to be able to race in formula one there were question marks over whether he would get this and that was the great deciding factor if you will as to whether or not he would be in that seat or whether he wouldn't be and it was quite funny seeing Jost Capito asking answering questions regarding what would happen if they didn't or Logan Sargent didn't get those points because it was quite clear there was no structured coherence written down plan so I think everyone at Williams is quite happy and um less tense than they were now versus the start of this Grand Prix weekend and it's nice to see youth being given a chance he's obviously a decent young driver did well in FT but for anyone who's been listening to this podcast series for a number of episodes indeed series my litmus test for whether you should be in F1 is you've got to win F2 I think that is the logical progression and if you look at someone like Yuki Tsunoda going back to him didn't win F2 had one season there then got boosted up to Formula 1 and his season his number of seasons so far in the sport has been nothing more than okay so nice see he's been given a chance but I think it also shows a bit of lack of ambition really from Williams as well because if they were to have someone like Albon and dare I say Mick Schumacher partnering him or someone like Ricardo um if Schumacher wasn't available that would be a more ambitious we're about to go and get points type of move from Williams but I think it's quite clear to see they're not going to be moving a lot higher than P9 in the constructors next season I fear but hopefully I'm proved wrong in that regard. Tom do you think Alex Albon will be the uh, team leader going into next year or do you think because they're Albon's sort of fresh face as well that there won't really be a team leader uh, from a driver's perspective in the team? I think Albon has to be the team leader, really, because not only did he have more experience and more points than Latifi in private now, you've got to consider he's also a lot older. He's no longer the kid on the block, if you will. 26 years old, he may have a, a fresh face, but he's now in the peak uh, of his power, really, when it comes to his Formula 1 career. So now he needs to sort of kick on and carry on from what he was doing last season. A decent season, dare I say, as well. For him, in a Williams, he's got three points finishes, looking at the entirety of the 2020. 22 calendar you know p10s twice and then a p9 not to be scoffed at at all in terms of finishing in this williams car so i think yes if williams are going to do well next season if they are going to be successful rise to p9 dare i even say p8 it'll be i think more down to Albon, and that's not really me having a dig at sergeant i think as we see with someone like joe for example as any rookie that comes into formula one they do need a season in some cases a season and a half or a season or two seasons to really bed themselves in so they need Albon more than ever really but I think Sargent will be an upgrade on Latifi uh, into his racecraft dare I say but we'll see 
And it seems that's all we got time for in terms of episode 39 of F1 in Review, reviewing the season finale of Abu Dhabi. Thank you very much for tuning in, be that on your preferred podcast provider, or be that via River Radio, be that live or via the Listen Back feature. A reminder that you can follow myself, Tristan, and the F1 in Review account on Twitter. The handle for the F1 in Review account is just F1 in Review. And while the season is over, in terms of F1 in Review, in terms of what we do for this season, we're staying here for three more episodes. Up next will be the winners episodes, where we'll pick constructors and drivers who we think of won in some aspect. This doesn't have to be winning the championship. There are other drivers, aside from Max Verstappen, who can win this. But people and constructors who we think of exceeded expectations in many ways and then from then on there'll be two more episodes which I'll leave as a mystery for now but you can tune in and we'll be done in time for Christmas and we'll be taking then the winter break uh, reviewing all our predictions ahead of the next season of F1 that being 2023. Until next time thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next episode.